As a real estate manager, Principal Asset Management harnesses the power of a 360-degree perspective, delivering local insights and global expertise across public and private equity and debt. Their teams apply local insights and global perspectives to help identify the most compelling investing opportunities. Principal Asset Management, actively invested. Learn more at principalam.com. Investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal. Principal Asset Management SM is a trade name of Principal Global Investors, LLC. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It's packed with benefits to help unlock more value from your business purchases. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. How is Future Proof? It was awesome. You had a, quite the interview with Bill Gross. I was listening to it. I, know. I mean, it was. I, I feel like everyone's kind of known that he hates good luck. Yeah. So. <laughs> I kind of love it. Like, I saw a bunch of people talking about, like, oh, this crazy old guy. I feel sorry for him. And I was like, I get the sense he's living his best life. Oh, yeah. He's just, like, on stage settling old scores because he can, like, go he has for nothing it. to lose. Yeah. I did think it was funny he went off on Peter Lynch, though. Like, I've never... Did you hear that bit? No. He, like made fun of Peter Lynch, too. And it was like, I've never heard anyone take issue with Peter Lynch. <laughs> I did a deadlift. One, two, two three. three. Hegemony. Hegemony. Okay, good. Oh. Okay. <laughs> Hegemony. Hege uh, barges. This is an after-school special, except... I've decided I'm going to base my entire personality going forward on campaigning for a strategic pork reserve in the U.S. Where's the best squid ink pasta? <laughs> These are the, the important questions. Is it robots taking over the world? No, I think that, like, in a couple of years, the AI will do a really good job of making the Odd Lots podcast. <laughs> and people will say, I don't really need to listen to Joe and Tracy anymore. We do have <laughs> the perfect guest. <laughs> well, in the meantime, this is lots more. An odd lot spinoff. And we do have the perfect guest. Neil Dutta hanging out with us in studio. Tracy, that was fun out in California, wasn't it? California is lovely. We should <laughs> we should live there. Um, no, it was a fun conference. So we were at the Future Proof Conference in Huntington Beach. I think there were 3,000 people there, mostly financial advisors. And we uh, we did a live interview with Bill Gross. We uh, I love going out to Southern California. It's always fun when you can create controversy and rivalry <laughs> between two asset managers, bond managers who are like rivals and create drama. We created the drama at the event. Well, I feel like we didn't actually have to do much to create it. I mean, Bill kind of went off on his own. Neil Dada, is there any reason to own a bond right now? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it is fixed income. Okay. So I would, but you I'd, could you could get that, but Tracy gets that in her Marcus account. I mean, I just told my parents to buy a bunch of treasury bills because it's the easiest. Really? Thing. Yeah. Why not? I mean, it's just like clipping a five percent return month after month, and you know. Bill well, Gross disagrees with you. Well, I'm not saying rates can't go higher, but if you're not a sophisticated investor, yes, there's plenty of reasons to own, you know, treasury. You know, Bill Gross started his career clipping. He told us the story when we interviewed him that he was hired at Pimco in 1971 and that part of his new part of his job was to literally go down to the vault that Pimco had every I don't know how often he went down there and clip the physical coupons off of paper bonds <laughs> that they had. And he would that was part of his job was to like go do that clipping. Well, he's clearly older than we are. <laughs> <laughs> well, he was also talking about how he used to trade on Quotron machines instead of Bloomberg terminals. So, yes, absolutely. But it was a it was a fun interview. But wait, why not just? I'm sorry, I'm hung up on this. Why not just 
like okay yes i get that you can earn like five percent somewhere but like you can can't you earn like four percent like basically risk-free at this like with no duration or anything like four and a half percent in marcus and like a you're right like yeah just CD. cash cash yeah what's wrong with that well five is more than four and my parents have no need for the money right now okay all right and i mean they're not trying to trade for the you know to get you know to actually make money on the bond itself so all right All right, well, let's talk. Okay, we don't know. No one knows where rates are going. So we got an inflation, a CPI print this week. You've been saying, Neil, for a while that inflation, we, we haven't defeated it yet, that either we have a recession and if we don't have a recession, it's going to pick back up. Is this the first sign of it? Did we sort of like bottom out on the inflation front? I mean, some of the progress is definitely stalling. I mean, for me, it's just if you don't believe that there's a recession, it's hard to believe that inflation has been resolved. To me, it's really that. That's sort of how I think about it. I know others may disagree, but I think demand is still pretty strong. And you saw that with retail sales today also. So, Wait, isn't the consensus on CPI that it was mostly gas prices? Because I remember when gas started going up in, I guess it would have been July or early August, Omer Sharif, who's been on this podcast a number of times now, basically He's said, great. yeah, and he said, like, this is going to mean CPI coming in in August at like 3.5 or 3.6 percent ended up at 3.7 year on year. But it seems like it was somewhat expected. Well, I mean, I think for me, what's interesting about this is that when you look at core goods, right, like things, you know, like furniture and that's actually going back up, excluding Hmm. cars, right? So I think that's interesting because to me, that was sort of the linchpin for a lot of the weaker inflation story that kind of people had going into the year. And that's going away. And I think part of the reason why it's going away is that supplier delivery times are no longer I mean, it's taking longer for factories to move product out the yeah. door. So the supply chain issue isn't improving. And if that's the case, then I think one area of disinflationary pressure is going away. And so I think that there's probably some upside to core goods prices between now and the end of the year. There's also some upside to um, food prices, I think. Joe, I have a pet theory that a lot of the strong consumption is just down to like economic nihilism where people are just like, screw it. I don't need to save anymore. I mean, really, I'm just going to spend everything. Go out, go to restaurants. I mean, Why not? That's really, if that's true, that's really bad because isn't that like the sort of like classic precursor to hyperinflation? Like people just go out and they're like, oh, I have a little cash. So I'm going to like go out and buy TVs. Like I seem to recall like reading stories about that before like episodes of like, Russian hyperinflation. I hope you're wrong. I hope well, that's not what all this consumption is I think is there's about. a natural limit to how many TVs you can actually go out and buy. But I do think <laughs> the like psychological impulse behind a lot of the spending hasn't necessarily been appreciated by a lot of economists. Let's put it that way. Neil, didn't you write something about savings? Yeah. I mean, I think that to me, there's nothing inherently wrong with the savings rate where it is. I mean, it's certainly lower than it was a few months ago. But if you think about, you know, the period from, let's say, the early 1980s through 2007, I mean, there was a fairly notable inverse relationship between your assets relative to your income and savings, right? So So when assets go up in value, the savings savings rate goes down. Which makes sense, right? Because people are looking at rising wealth as sort of a low risk form of, of income. And so- you know, you you feel better about things. You don't need to save as much. The financial crisis period kind of upended that, right? So we mm-hmm. went through a, you know, nearly decade-long period where the savings rate rose. By the time we got, I mean, even before the pandemic, I think the savings rate was like 8 or 9%, mm-hmm. right? And so 
there's no reason for that to happen again. Mm. And I think that's something that's not well appreciated by people. And again, Wait, talk about this a little more. So sure. I, I just pulled up the chart on the terminal and I hadn't really looked at this chart in a while. So we had been. Wait, what's the ticker, Joe? Um, PID SPS. Oh, I see. Um, I like see personal yeah. disposable. At least the savings rate is a percentage of disposable income. That's yes. the start. That's yeah, the measure yeah. you're looking yeah, yeah. at. So I hadn't realized January 2020, we were at 9.1 on that. Right. Today we're at 3.5%. So wait, go back. What does that tell you, that 9.1% that we had pre-COVID? There was sort of a maybe more caution. Okay. Maybe balance sheet repair. Mm. It could have just also been fluky. You know, we had maybe a couple of months a week of consumer spending and and we, <laughs> right. you know, go be- before the pandemic. But at, at any rate, I mean, um, it, it, to me, I think the bigger story is that the trend in the savings rate over that entire period was a function of continued household balance sheet adjustment. All right. So right now, going back to the present tense, what, what's your, what's the Fed going to do the next few meetings? Pause in, pause in September, right? Yeah. I don't what? think they're going to do anything, in, at least until December, if they do anything. So nothing in November and then maybe a hike in December. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, I think part part of me feels now increasingly that they'll just keep pushing back on cuts. Because Why? It, well, I mean, that, that could be considered like a de facto tightening. I mean, if the market expects cuts next year, and I think the oh, market's still, right? I mean, oh, pushing so, back the cuts. I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. Okay, just basically yeah, yeah. pushing back against the idea that they're cutting. So they just keep an extended on hold policy. Like, okay. It, you know, not, the thing is, at this point, I feel like if they're, I mean, because we're talking right now, you saw the journal article, like fine tuning. Mm-hmm. They're using these, these, these words, right? So if you're going to hike, like, what's the point of hiking once more? Right? So if you're going to hike, it has to be at least a few. You know, like, I, I mean, you, I mean, it's very rare to see the Fed do like an abort, like, yeah, mission, right? I mean, maybe in the mid 90s that happened, right? They hiked and then they kind of just left it there and they never did anything again. Mm-hmm. And then the next move was cuts after the LTCM thing. So th- that's sort of how I'm thinking about it. But, but I think the risk to them doing this is it's happening at potentially a time of cyclical momentum in the economy. And that to me is what kind of... Uh, kind of concerns me you mentioned that there are these maybe that the momentum on disinflation has stalled yes but like big picture and look there's always going to be month-to-month noise but big picture if you just sort of zoom out it still looks like various measures cpi ppi pce uh quit rates things like that it still basically seems like lines are trending down but what are you doing? Technical analysis no. on the economic <laughs> data? Right? I mean, it's just so no. That, I'm just saying, like, no, no. I'm I, what I'm what I'm more saying is like, it's just like zoom out and look big picture. Like, yes, like I get things happen month down. to month, month <laughs> to month, and we can say like, oh, like strip out gasoline, etc. It still looks like most lines, especially you know, the, I know like one of the theses of like persistent inflation is going to be that wage growth and the labor market still robust but even that's like don't you find it right? amazing that the, the folks that were like that are now talking about the quits rate as this sort of magic like inf- wage inflation indicator during the 2010s they were the ones that were propping up the prime age employment rate as the as the best <laughs> measure for wages and that number is actually still going up because the labor markets are in fact still tightening i've always been a quits rate fan anyway so. <laughs> no i always have been i've been but 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 i i what if the quits rate's going down because people are getting paid more in the jobs that they have? Is it more or less likely that someone in, at, at UPS is going to quit their job after striking a deal, mm. after the union struck a deal with, uh, with the company? Is it, more, is it going to be more or less likely that Ford, GM, uh, you know, the folks that make Jeep vehicles, are they going to be more or less likely to quit their job yeah. in, in, the next couple of, in the next couple of months? 
So I, I wonder a little bit about that. I mean, so, um, but to me, isn't it, a, it's a confidence game, right? I mean, ultimately, and I think that's how policy works too. I mean, this is something that Waller was talking about is expectations, right? Mm-hmm. Businesses, I hate to tell you, no longer think there's going to be a recession. Yeah. And if they think that, then they're going to be more likely to post job openings. They're going to be more likely to hire. So hiring rates and opening rates probably pick up. And that probably means stronger employment. And so, yes, I agree with you that the, that there has been improvement in a lot of these um, metrics that you're pointing to, right? I mean, the quits, but if you had to ask me, are these measures going to be higher or lower than they are right now? I would say higher. And right. to me, that's, I mean, we'll keep the Fed awake, I think. Well, the other thing that's happening is, you know, you mentioned the UAW strike mm. um, and, and we are getting like close to that sort of like triggering. And I guess I guess from a production perspective, it feels like we could get into another situation where supply chains start to be affected, which could also maybe start to impact inflation. It's a negative supply shock, right? I mean, that's one of the way, I mean, um, I don't think we're anything close to the 70s, obviously, but one of the ways that happened was basically you had these sort of persistent supply shocks. You had, I mean, it was just bad luck. I mean, on top of bad policy. As a leading real estate manager, Principal Asset Management harnesses the power of a 360-degree perspective, delivering local insights and global expertise across public and private equity and debt. Our experienced teams are uniquely positioned to uncover compelling opportunities in today's market, giving our clients an exclusive advantage. Principal Asset Management actively invested. Learn more at principalam.com. Investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal. Principal Asset Management SM is a trade name of Principal Global Investors, LLC. Hey there, it's Joe Weisenthal. And Tracy Alloway. And we are the co-hosts of the Odd Lots podcast. And we want to tell you about a new podcast here at Bloomberg we're really excited about. Money Stuff, the podcast. That's right. Friend of the pod, Matt Levine, is teaming up with our other friend and Bloomberg TV host, Katie Greifeld, to bring the Money Stuff newsletter to life. Every Friday, Matt and Katie will dive into all the Wall Street finance and other things that make Matt's newsletter such a hit. You can listen to Money Stuff, the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Neil, I, I posted in our Discord. I think you've you've hung out in there a couple yeah, of times. Absolutely. I posted in their Discord. Anyone have any questions for Neil? And from JG53, does uh, <laughs> rising long bond yields, like how far can that go? And at what point does that like really start to impair asset valuations and mm. other assets? I think we're pretty, economy? I mean, I think we're, five, we're, four and three quarters. We sort of hitting the ceiling yeah, we're, here. We're and like this really I mean, I think the market's kind point. of figuring it out, but I think we're, we're close. Our market strategist, Jeff DeGraff, you know, he runs this thing called a yield impact model. But basically he looks at the probability that a certain level of interest rate starts to negatively affect the stock market. And, mm-hmm. it, you know, it, it gets worse the, the higher, you know, after four and a half percent. So we're, we're, we're right there to me. When I think about equities this year, right, the easy money, I think, has largely been made because the the big upturn for stocks was basically pricing out the recession probability, Hmm. right? And now, right, so if you think about the market as kind of, or the economy as as sort of like a four potential scenarios, right, you can have your 
your deflationary bust, which is sort of the classic recession. You can have stagflation, you can have soft landing, you can mm -hmm. have an inflationary boom, right? What you have the most, or what I have the most conviction on is that we won't have recession, right? So now I think the markets have kind of come to that view. And so you have to, if you're thinking about probabilities, okay, so then my odds of a negative you know, growth scenario have come down. So where do you allocate this now? I mean, is it soft landing? Is it inflationary boom? And I think the markets are kind of gyrating back and forth between those two scenarios. Where Tracy, do you land on that? I think we're in an inflationary boom. Hmm. Hmm. Tracy, can I say, mm -hmm. I, you know what I think people should pay a little more attention to than they are? No, <laughs> no, it's not, it's, a, it's, not a, it's not a controversial one, actually. The unemployment rate, it ticked up to 3.8% 3 last month, and a lot of people sort of dismissed it based on, oh, it had to do with more people in the labor force. But on the other hand, like it is the highest now since February 2022. So it's like the highest in over a year and a half. Like this way, I go back to some of these labor market indicators and they're not terrible clearly. And we're still adding jobs and initial claims yeah. are low. But like, you know, as Neil said, job openings down, quit rates. I think maybe I said that down unemployment rate up to 3.8%. Like, it seems like something is happening. On the sure. Labor. But to Neil's point, if we have entered a period where it seems like recession is firmly off the table, then it feels like that gets reversed pretty quick, especially given that a lot of companies were already kind of focused on being caught flat footed in an expansionary scenario. We've talked about this, right? Yeah. Like a lot of the survey data, yes. they're talking about like, well, we want to hold on to people or we want to hire additional people because we're worried about after the recession yeah. and expanding our capabilities. And then the recession never materialized. And so it feels like there's more upside than downside at this yeah, point. Yeah, I love reading the comments like on like the Dallas Fed manufacturing report or some of the ISM. And that has been a thing that pops up, which is that basically either managers don't believe that a recession is coming or they see a recession as an opportunity to gain market share from their competitors or gain employees from their competitors, in which case if everyone has that mentality... It's hard to see how you get a recession. Wait, I want to ask Neil about something else you've been writing about, which is the potential for a Fed policy error. And I've really <laughs> only seen two people talking about this, and you're coming at it from polar opposite sides. So I've seen Victor <laughs> Schwetz talk about the Fed's going to hike into a recession and there's going to be an error in that form. But you're talking about they're going to basically pause while inflation is still booming, and that's going to be an error. Yeah, I mean, where's the evidence that they're hiking into a slowdown? They're pausing, right? I mean, no one's yeah. talking about them. I mean, so that's, I mean, it's just wrong. It's just, that is that is not correct. I mean, we've had some version of that argument for so many quarters now, I feel like, oh, they're hiking into a slowdown. I mean, that, that was something that uh, people were saying late in 2022, right? I mean, I think, I believe. So to me, we're making very, I mean, job growth is slowing, but if, I mean, if you think about like potential, what is potential? What is break even? It's around like what, like 100,000, maybe a little bit more. Mm. And we're still, we're still well above that. I mean, household employment is still reasonably strong. I mean, that's been running like over 200,000 in the last few months. I saw something uh, in, in the journal where, where one commentator was saying, oh, you know, this is like the classic Fed where they're, they're putting too much weight on lagging indicators and now they're setting policy to lagging indicators like, uh, like inflation and but it, that's they are paying a lot of attention to inflation and a lot of attention to the labor market. But that's exactly why that's wrong is because they, they are lagging indicators. Yeah. They have slowed. That doesn't mean they will slow. Yeah. So for listeners, 
For listeners that don't know, one of the great things about following Neil and being on his distribution list is that he's not afraid to criticize the people who have been calling for a recession for like basically the past 12 months. Who's your Jeff Gunlock? Yeah. Who do you want to take a shot at? I I don't like to name names. I don't, With my peers on Wall Street, I always, if I've worked with them, I always try to prop them up uh, or very speak, speak highly of them. But I don't need to say anything. I mean, the, everyone knows who they are. I mean, um, they come on your program. Or they come on this <laughs> chat. They come on Bloomberg TV, and they talk very confidently about recession. And you know, and I've talked to Joe about this many times uh, offline. But there is a cottage industry that is just doom and gloom. Doom and gloom, right? I mean, think about the people that were like talking about the weekly Red Book sales index over the last like six months because it's been going down and down and down and and now it's starting to pick back up. I mean, where are those people now? It's you know, it's one of our, uh, and I'm sure Joe knows him, Sam Rowe. He has this great point. It's like we went out to dinner with Sam Rowe in California. We went to, we got a great prime rib. Yeah, it was and good. And Sam ordered a smoked old fashioned, and uh, they like. It was a very fancy looking cocktail. Very good for Instagram. Anyway, sorry, keep going. His Instagram is great, by the way. Yes. Yeah. Follow, follow Sam <laughs> he, does, uh, he does a great job of sifting through all the TikToks yeah. so that I don't have to join that platform. Um, but it, so, for example, like with Walmart, right? Like he'll make this joke about, you know, Walmart sales are up. So the bears say that that's bad yeah. because consumers yeah. are being stretched. But Walmart sales are now down. And then the bears say that's really, really bad because that means the <laughs> consumer can't even afford the stuff that's on sale at Walmart or the, the credit card one is one of my favorites. It's like, oh, um, oh yeah. pe- people are cutting back on their credit card spend because, and that's bad for consumption. Or, or now they're spending too much on credit cards and they're stretching themselves into oblivion. Right. So it's just, <laughs> you can't win with some people. And frankly, there is a cottage industry of newsletter subscription writers that make their money selling this sort of thing. Wait, we got to be careful because we also have a newsletter. We don't sell it. No, that's true. It's free. It's free. But my favorite instance of this is everyone who was talking about how the inverted yield curve was going, was predicting recession, right, within the next 12 months or something. We've now had it for months and months and months on end. So all those people have now flipped from the yield curve is a sign of impending recession to the, the inverted yield curve causes recession, which is a fun little transition. By the way, Tracy, our producers remind me, you're wrong. Actually, you have to be a Bloomberg.com paid subscriber to get the Odd Lots newsletter. So we are kind of in the business. You know, you, uh, having worked now both on the at a major bank on the sell side now for Renaissance Macro, why is there a demand from customers for the sort of like doom and gloom mongers? Like, mm-hmm. why who, Why do people want that in your view? Because they couldn't, all these guys couldn't make a career if there weren't an audience, if there weren't a customer base for it. I mean, the human mind is conditioned to believe that people that pitch a negative story are somehow like the Nostradamus. Like, I mean, I have a, my view on things is that it usually works out. That's yeah. that, and 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 I think that makes me. I I think that makes some people just think that I'm an idiot, right? Yeah. Because I just think. I mean, it's like, oh, you're like a dopey, <laughs> no, like I, you know. But uh, 
things have a tendency of working out. Like society heals, people figure it out. Like that's what we do. I mean, we we have a relatively open society. And things things work out. Isn't the Sam Rose line in the long run yeah. stocks go up? Yeah. Well, I I came around to your review several years ago because I remember people often say like, oh, hope isn't a strategy. Like that's a thing. I kind of think it's the only strategy because once <laughs> no, I I really believe this. Like. Once you sort of have like a crystal clear idea of how a crisis is going to resolve itself, it's probably priced in. So like, for example, you know, if you waited until like after the CARES Act passed and everything else already, like you were like way off the bottom on stocks. If you waited until Mario Draghi's OMT speech for the Eurozone crisis, already like the market bottom. Like if you wait for, so in the meantime, like the only like bet is like, yeah, they'll probably work it out. I think so. I mean, that doesn't mean that there aren't periods where things can be going awry. And it's important to point that out. But what I don't like, and I think this is what a lot of these doomers do, is that they start with the conclusion first and then they Mm. work backwards. And I hate that. What you need to do is take an astute sort of observation of all the data and then lead yourself to a conclusion, right? So that's how I think about it, and that's that's, so, that's how we try to do our work. Okay, so you're you're an optimistic sort of sunny guy. That being said, so we are recording this on Thursday. We don't know tonight there might be a strike at the UAW. It's possible that we wake up tomorrow morning when people are listening to this and a strike is on. We don't know, unfortunately. It's just the timing of how recording works. But Goldman put out a note this week, and they said there's three sort of risks right now. and they That said everybody the UA- knows about. Right, the UAW strike student loan payment reset, and um, uh, government shutdown. Uh Are those concerning you at all? Are they like enough to move the dial? I think that those are largely priced. I mean, the student loan repayment thing may, I mean, part of that might be already happening. I mean, it it looks like if you look at the daily daily treasury data, I mean, Mm -hmm. there has been an influx of money into the into the government's coffers from student loans a little bit ahead of schedule. So maybe we front-loaded some of that drag. I don't know. I mean, I've been through so many government shutdowns now. It's never seemed to matter. The market tends to look through it. It's going to be really annoying, though, if they do stretch that into October, because then I won't get the September jobs number, potentially, and that mm. would be that would be. Oh. Okay. Wait, w- we wouldn't get a jobs report in a government shutdown? Yeah, you don't get them. Oh, man. What are we going to do? <laughs> what are uh, we going to do on the first live, fr- live our lives, What are we going to do on the first Friday of that um, month? I guess I could sleep in. I mean, the UAW strike, it's one of these things where, kind of like the shutdown, right? Where you actually have to kind of go over the cliff to get to the result. You have to show them Mm. what you actually mean. Um, But I think, you know, as, I mean, we have very little, I mean, the inventory situation in the car market has improved somewhat, but it's still well below. Like if you look at day supply for cars and trucks, it's still well below where it was before the pandemic. So that to me probably argues for a more rapid resolution to this uh, than, than, than appreciate it. But yeah, I think that they probably strike, but that the pressure will start building pretty quickly over the week mm. to come to some kind of an agreement. Wait, what would concern you? Like mm. if you had to put on your doom and gloomer hat, if you started a newsletter today, what would be the big risk? Well, I just said it. I mean, I think that, in, I mean, we've been talking about it, which is that inflation stays stickier for longer. And that's going to, I mean, right. So you, yes, I'm optimistic, but at the same time, an optimistic economic outlook right now isn't necessarily a good one for markets. So mm. that's the kind of distinction you want to talk about. I also wonder a little bit about manufacturing competitiveness, right? I mean, if mm. you look at manufacturing productivity in the US, it's been very, very sluggish for the last several years. Um, and, it, and this is now happening at a time when we are yeah, pushing up this uh, is- pushing up compensation costs across a number of industries. To the extent that we're not as cost competitive, that could really be challenging. Because remember, Joe, I mean, in the 2010s, it was all about the US manufacturing and industrial renaissance, right? And- um, Well, I don't remember that. I thought that's the story now. 
that like now is like the actual like domestic manufacturing investment. I mean, part. back then it was about the dollar was lost so much of its value from 2002 to 2008. Our unit, our labor costs were right sized. And now uh, it seems to be going the other way. We have a strong dollar. We have, uh, you know, unit labor costs have been rising relatively quickly in the manufacturing sector because productivity has been so sluggish. So that's that's something that's longer term. I mean, yeah. I don't think it's, it changes any cyclical momentum story, but it's something to keep an eye on. Can I end this with a sort of personal statement? Is that is that okay? Go uh, for it. You look at you look you work out this summer. You look fit. Oh, thank you, Joe. I appreciate it. <laughs> I have lost weight the old-fashioned way. Well, I would call it the the Indian way, which is just fasting. Really? My people, we fasted our way to independence, and we, I'm doing it to a better body. In my day, we called this dieting. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, it's working out. No need for a simple care. <laughs> One thing I learned from Joe is that guys just want to be asked if they've been working out. That's like all this they desire true. from life. This is true. Lots More is produced by Carmen Rodriguez and Dashiell Bennett with help from Moses Andam. Our sound engineer is Blake Maples. Sage Bauman is our head of Bloomberg Podcasts. Subscribe to Odd Lots and Lots More on your favorite podcast platform. And if you'd like to support us, please leave us a review. Thanks for listening. Catch Lots More next time on Lots More. Hey there, it's Joe Weisenthal. And Tracy Alloway. And we are the co-hosts of the Odd Lots podcast. And we want to tell you about a new podcast here at Bloomberg we're really excited about. Money Stuff, the podcast. That's right. Friend of the pod, Matt Levine, is teaming up with our other friend and Bloomberg TV host, Katie Greifeld, to bring the Money Stuff newsletter to life. Every Friday, Matt and Katie will dive into all the Wall Street finance and other things that make Matt's newsletter such a hit. You can listen to Money Stuff the Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.